The first and best victory is to conquer self. Welcome to the Conqueror Approach, a journey of self-mastery. To cultivate our mind, body, spirit, financial literacy, and allow our light to shine upon the world. Brought to you by me, your host, U.S. Navy submarine veteran and entrepreneur, Musa Mikkel. Let's conquer. Welcome to the Conquer Approach. Today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Jamil Sayeh. As an international life and business and relationship coach, integrative naturopathic physician, master neurolinguistic programming practitioner, and author of the 20 Steps to Your Next Breakthrough. He works with leaders, high performers of all walks of life, including world champion athletes, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, business professionals, and more to create an extraordinary life without regret. He is a certified naturopathic medical doctor, neurolinguistic programming master practitioner, Master Practitioner in Hypnotherapy, Master Practitioner of Mental and Emotional Release, and Certified Master Insight Coach from the Insight Coaching Academy. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate you for coming on the show today. Awesome, Musa. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, Jamil, you have such a credible, you have all these accreditations and, and, and a lot of a lot of skill and knowledge in the, in the space of mind, body, and spirit. And this is really what the Conqueror approach is all about, uh, to help people on their journey to self-mastery with their mind, body, and spirit. And uh, when, I, when I talked to you and I, I found out what naturopathic uh, doctors do, I, I wasn't really aware of that. So if you don't mind giving us a little bit of background on you, uh, a little bit of background on your studies and, and what naturopathic physician means for those who don't know? Sure. Yeah. So just from a, the, uh, starting from the naturopathic approach, think of it like you've got three primary types of physicians in the United States. So it'd be one of your primary care doctors. It could be a medical doctor, MD, an osteopathic doctor, DO, and then depending on the state you're in, a naturopathic doctor, which is an ND or an NMD, depending on the state as well. And think of it, to put it simply, it's mind, body, spirit, medicine focused on the root cause of what's actually going on. You know, 95% of the conditions that people have in the country is chronic disease. Things like your diabetes and your heart disease and your cancers and your arthritis and things of that nature. And very often those things have lifestyle components. And so if we address them in an acute fashion when it's a chronic concern, we typically, it's kind of a Band-Aid fix. It's more simple symptom management versus actually getting to the cause of what's really going on. It's mm -hmm. like if you have a boat and there's holes in the boat and the boat's starting to fill with water and you have a bucket and then you've got a couple plugs to plug the holes, but you don't plug the holes and you just try to out, <laughs> outdo the ocean, you're going to lose in that same way. Plug the boat first, fix the problem, then you know detox the body, help it heal. And then the person returns to health more times than not. And so naturopathic medicine really just focuses on getting to the root cause of what's really going on and addressing the whole person versus just seeing their liver. You know, so you see the mm -hmm. whole person as they are. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So how did you get into coaching in the coaching field from your background as a doctor? Mm. So what, coaching what started you... first. Yeah. Okay. Yes, but, and so it, it actually segues all together. So I, I'll just start kind of from the beginning. Uh, but when I was 14 years old, I became a uh, track athlete. I was really into baseball before that. 
And when I got into track and field, I noticed that even though I was going to practice like everybody else, I was doing all the work, I was putting in the hours. A, my running times weren't good. And B, I was sick all the time. I didn't feel good at all. And I really got concerned about that over several months. I just sat there going, why is this happening? You know, why is it, why am I feeling this way? I'm 14. <laughs> I shouldn't feel this way. And something just clicked in my head and said, maybe it's your diet. Maybe it's nutrition. It's what you're putting in your body. And I didn't really know anything about that. Never really looked into it. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure where that came from. But I said, all right, let me look into it. YouTube came out. I'm 30 years old now. So it's about 2004. So somewhere in that range, like YouTube came out. There was books. There was all these things I was looking into online. And I started to realize, wow, you know, I have a really bad diet compared to what I'm reading. And so I started cleaning it up. And some changes were big and overnight. And some of them were more, you know, long-term over my, the rest of my teenage years. But quickly, I started seeing results. Energy went through the roof. I slept better. My skin cleared up. My track times improved dramatically. And I started really feeling good. And I said, wow, you know, there's got to be more to it. I'm probably just scratching the surface. So that was the beginning of my journey into health. And that started to build up such a passion in me that I would be meeting with people and they would say, oh, you know, what have you been up to? And I would share some of the passion of the health stuff that I've been learning. And they would say, wow, you know, I've got this. What, 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 what can I do for this? Can you help me with that? And I'm like, you know, I actually read something about that and watched like four videos about that. You could try A, B, and C, talk to your doctor, C, C, and they would try it and they would lose weight, get off their medications, symptoms would go away. And it would create more positive reinforcement, positive feedback. And I would sit there saying, wow, I really love this. And I would dive deeper and deeper. So that my first year, I didn't know what coaching was at, at 14, but I knew that I just wanted to help people. And so I was coaching people through a lot of their health concerns on a consistent basis, and they were getting better. And eventually it turned into speaking with several physicians who were family members of mine, and they would be heads of their hospital. And they, we'd be talking at a party and they would say, so what have you been up to? And because in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, they're, they're doctors, they get this. And so I would just dive into like something I learned in like the biochem of this and the physiology of that, that I thought was really interesting. And we talk about it. And then a couple months would go by and they would say, hey, you know, I told my patient about what you said and they tried it and they're doing really well. And that was further like of this uh, positive reinforcement of in the real world, these people are getting better. And I got to play a part in that. And so that was the beginning of that for me. And around 15 years old, I started thinking, well, what are the other areas of a really fulfilling life? And then I thought about, well, relationships are one of them. So just like with health, I thought about who are the top dating coaches, marriage therapists that I could find, and let me buy their books, let me buy their DVD courses, let me learn from them. What is, how can I master communication? How can I get to a place where I understand there's couples that are 90 years old, they've been married for 60, 70 years, and they're so in love, and there's a lot of passion. And there's people that are on their fourth divorce and they're not even 30. And so now it's like, well, what's going on there? What's that difference that makes the biggest difference there? How can I help people with that? And just like with the health situation, I was learning it. I'd be passionate about it. People would ask me questions about it. Next thing you know, I'm mediating a couple's marriage and they don't get a divorce. And then that was positive reinforcement. It just felt really good. And that snowballed where I had the health, I had the relationship side. And then one, one day, I think it was 2015, 2016, I'm on YouTube and I just typed in like motivation 2005, you know, something like that. And I get one of those small 10 minute edited videos, which it's like Tony Robbins and Les Brown and all these people that I'd never heard of. And it spoke, really spoke to me. 
And it was like, wow, this is interesting. And I went down one of those YouTube rabbit holes people talk about. And I probably spent yeah. <laughs> you know, an obscene amount of hours like watching these videos. And I love the way these guys thought, but more especially the way they were able to create dramatic shifts in people, get them results in an hour that maybe a therapist or someone else they were working with 20 years go by and they hadn't gotten that result yet. And so I started thinking, how are they doing that? And then I really dove into the work of neuro-linguistic programming, different types of psychology, trying to understand the mind and try to understand how habits are formed and how to break them and bring new ones in, how to understand how people show up, how to kind of breathe life into a person, help them get inspired and get motivated. And I was combining all that. So now I'd still be helping people with their health and their relationships, but then maybe something, some, some tragedy happens in their life or they're going through a hardship. And now I've got this kind of NLP psychology, inspiration, motivation side to it that I'm helping them in that area. And I just started to learn what coaching was because Tony would talk about it. And I was like, all right, wow, I really like this. And at that young age, the mindset was, I still wanted to be a doctor, but it was like, I want to do what Tony does. Like, I love that. I love building people up in that way. And that continued until I was 19. And then when I was 19 years old, that was really when life changed a lot for me. That was when my dad had a brain aneurysm. And I was in my sophomore year of undergrad and University in the Bronx for anyone who knows the area. And um, I was 19, my dad was 49, and he had a four hour brain surgery. And in this surgery, he had less than a 5% chance of survival. And if you don't know what a brain aneurysm, brain aneurysm is, think of it like the tube, one of the blood vessels in the brain, like a tube, balloons out. And if you're fortunate, you have a really bad headache, it gets clipped and you're released. But with my dad, his ruptured. So he's in this four hour brain surgery and he survived it. So right then and there, it's already a miracle. And he's in a coma. And I walk into the room after the surgery and it was really hard to see my dad in that situation. And I remember feeling this feeling of immense regret because I thought I'm never gonna have a chance to really know my dad because I'm being told by these doctors that he might die at any moment. He's in this hypercritical place. And I started reminiscing and reflecting on my life and thinking, I took him for granted. I started thinking I didn't have the relationship with him that I could. I started thinking there's a Dalai Lama quote that always comes to mind when I tell this story where he says, most people live as if they're never going to die. And then they die having never really lived. And here I was at 19 thinking, oh, you know, my dad's going to live to 70, 80, 90, 100. I've got time. And that was the story that I would tell myself. And so my priorities at the time, it was school, it was, at, it was athletics, it was video games, it was movies with my friends, hanging out, all that kind of stuff, not actually connecting with this man who's my father. You know, I didn't have that. And so in that moment, it felt like I was going to miss out on that. It felt like I wasn't going to have another opportunity. Fast forward three years, he passed away after three years, but my prayers were answered. And I took two years off after I graduated college and I got to spend all that time with him. And I was one of his primary caregivers. We were doing 10, 12, 15 hours a day together, singing together, music together, boxing, physical therapy, watching movies, joking around. And I really got to know him at a level that he became one of my best friends. And that was something that I never had before. And I feel deeply, deeply blessed that I had that as an opportunity because I you know, very easily couldn't have. And the thing was also in those three years, I was still coaching throughout that time, but I learned so much about myself and so much about life. And I experienced some of my highest highs because I got those experiences with him where we were laughing and connecting and as if this was a gift almost. 
but I also had some of my lowest lows, you know, moments where it was just him and I, and I was taking care of him and everybody else was gone. And he was having two to five minute seizures in my arms and he almost died several times. And I remember going to bed every morning and every night thinking, I would say goodnight to my dad and I would say, is that the last time I'm going to see him? Am I going to wake up and he's gone? And then I would fall asleep and I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be kind of like a haze, a little bit of, was that a dream? And I couldn't be sure. And then I'd walk downstairs and maybe I'd see him, but of course, you know, he'd be different. And at the end of those three years, when he passed away, I went to his wake and it was a five hour wake and I was right next to the casket and over 7,000 people came and I shook every single one of their hands and almost everyone said, your dad saved my life. And I felt so humbled by that. And I saw all these people from different religions, different cultures, asking if they can pray over the casket, uh, pay their respects in their own way. And I'm watching the impact that, that this man had. And mo he was 53 when he passed. And most of these people hadn't seen him since he was 49 or younger. And I'm just sitting there feeling so humbled. And also I had this insight that I'd been playing small, this insight that I cared way too much about what other people thought about me and that I was afraid of rejection. And because of that, there were so many things that I wanted to do. There were ways that I wanted to be in terms of just be myself when I'm in public. If I wanted to sing, if I wanted to dance, if I wanted to just have a good time, I was so cautious about that because I, I was afraid of judgment. And here was my dad, 53, passed away. But there was also two of my cousins in those three years. One was 20 and one was 21. And they both passed away. And if you spoke to them when they were 17 and 18 and you say, tell me about your future, I really doubt they would think, oh, I'm not going to be around in a couple of years. We all live like we're never going to die. And then we die having never really lived if we remain unconscious. Once we become conscious to it, we have that wake up call that there's a, and this isn't meant to be morbid. This is meant to just be like a loving wake up call. You're going to die. I am too. You know, we all are, at least physically. And from that place, the next question is, well, when am I going to die? I don't know. And you don't know either. So stop wasting your time. You know, none of us know. So live today fully. If you want to do something, do it. If you have people in your life that you care about, tell them. If you want to connect with people, do that. You know, if you have something that excites your soul, inspires your spirit to do, why are you doing something that you hate? Like, go live that. You're only going to be happy about it later. There's that, I forgot who said it, but there's that, I think it's, um, Hemingway, maybe, but whoever said it, you know, 20 years from now, you'll be more, um, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things that you did. That same thing, you know, we hear these expressions, these quotes, and we kind of think of them as cliches. Oh, yeah, I know that. I've heard that before. But hardly anyone lives it. And then you get to the point where you're 50, 70, 80, and you look back and you go, wow, those quotes were right. It's like, you know it now, like live it. And so for me, that experience of my dad allowed me an insight and an experience of life that was so much deeper than I'd ever known before. And there was a, there's a reverence of life now that every day is a miracle. Every moment is a miracle. When I get to see somebody, one of my cousins told me years ago, and it stays with me to this day, she told me every time you hug, I'm, like, I'm known for my hugs, you know, pre-COVID. <laughs> and then she told me every time you hug me, I feel like you're never going to see me again. And when she said that, it that's what I was going for without even knowing it. And when she said that, it was like, I started tearing up. I said, wow, you know, that's my intention. And the way she put it into words so simply 
was beautiful. I was at a restaurant like a month ago, three weeks ago. And there's a guy that I speak to every now and then, and we have these beautiful conversations and he walked up to me, we spoke. And then he tells me at the end, every time I speak with you, I remember who I am. And I started tearing up again. Cause like, that's what I'm here for, man. And it's not even a, like uh, a destiny thing. Like I chose this, you know, like, you know, but you can choose it too. Like anyone can choose it. And if this isn't what you want to do, there's something else you can do, but create your life, live intentionally. What, what matters to you. And from that place, build that kind of life. And so after that experience, I, I stayed home for about a year with my family, moved to Arizona, went to medical school over there. I spent five years there, graduated, took my board exams, got my license and still knew in my heart that coaching was what I wanted to do. And so I always told myself mentally, it's like, all right, take Tony Robbins, take Dr. Oz, smack them together. And that's me. Like, that's what I want to do. And I've definitely tweaked that significantly over the years. And at the same time, it, there, there's an air of truth to that. And so for what I do now, my passion is helping leaders and high performers create an extraordinary life without regret. And when I say that, first, I want to define these terms because they mean different things to different people. When I say leaders, it's people who want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. It's not just about them. It's not me, it's we, right? They want to make a difference to their family, to their company, to their community, to the world, depending on the size of the vision, but they want to give back. I love working with people like that because there's a ripple effect. I get to help them. They help the world. I got to indirectly be a part of that. And it just feels so good to make that level of a difference. And when I think high performer, it's whatever you're doing, you want to do and be the best you can at it, right? It matters to you. You want to show up at your best. How can I keep improving? Those type of people are so fun to work with. And when I think of an extraordinary life, that's based on whatever you define that to be. Excuse me. I think of this extraordinary life typically as three-sided. You've got your health, which is your mind, body, your spirit. You've got your relationships, which is your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your intimate partner, and your relationship with your personal and professional relationships. And then the base of that triangle, you've got your success, which is however you determine that to be, what that means to you. What would a life that's extraordinary be on your terms? That's what, I, that's what I'm referring to. And then the last part, without regret. And that goes back to my dad's story, which is why I share all of that. Because that moment when I was 19 and I was looking at my dad, that feeling that I had, I've never had a worse feeling than that. And when I look forward after that moment at 19 to today, there's been so many people that I've met, some younger, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and some of them 80, 90, almost even 100. And if I ask the older crowd and I say, tell me about your life, tell me about what you're most proud about, things of that nature, they have this look on their face yeah, there's some things they're proud of, there's things of that nature, but there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda. There's a lot of, I really wish I could do it all over again. And as they're telling me this, I see this look on their face of like despair. And that is unfortunate. A, they're still alive, so they can do something about it. And I, I try to you know encourage them in that sense. But B, there is, you can't go back though. And there's a lot of, there's not a lot of opportunity there that could have been taken advantage of. And the people were younger, 30s, 40s, 20s, and they're doing something that they don't like. And maybe they went to school for it. So they've been doing it for a couple of years now. And it's like, well, do you enjoy this? What do you love about it? And they don't like it. They actually hate it. They dread going to work. So why are you doing it? Oh, because I've been doing it for a couple of years already. It's like, so what? And it turns into this long conversation where they've convinced themselves, well, you know, it pays well. Like they're justifying it. And then they say, I'll just stick with it until I retire. It's like, really, you're going to 
because life is you we're all it's guaranteed to end physically you don't know when that ending is going to be you don't even know if you're going to make it to retirement but you're going to put in another 20 to 40 years doing something that you hate taking the chance that you'll have another 40 years on the back end to enjoy that <laughs> like, that's a big gamble man and uh you know just helping people eliminate that kind of stuff and get it so every single night when they go to bed and their head hits the pillow, if, depending on what they believe, the voice of God, an angel, the universe, life, whatever it is, if they just knew, today was my last day, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. If they knew that, could they go to sleep peacefully? Could they go to sleep knowing what a ride? Like I live my life, regardless of my age. Yeah, there might have been things that I wanted to do but my life was a representation of my true self. My life was a representation of what I stand for and what I want to be. I treated people well. I took advantage of the opportunities that were there for me to take advantage of. I was living my dream out, even if it wasn't complete yet. I might have been in the middle of it. Either way, I was enjoying my process. And if that's the case, then it doesn't matter how long you live. It just matters that you live. And that's really kind of what it's all about for me. And that brought me you know, to this moment, I moved back to New York, spent a couple of years here growing my, growing my coaching business. And I've been blessed to work with people from around the world. And it's really a, um, I can't think of anything better to do with my life. That truly incredible. And if you're watching this, you can see the passion that you have behind when you talk about the coaching and, and the just working on yourself, the body, the relationships and living life to its fullest. And if you're not watching it, you could probably hear it in your voice because, and that, that's such an important uh, conversation to have because so many people are doing what they don't like. They're not really making the, the maximum impact they can because they're not fully passionate in what they're doing. And I saw it in the military all the time. People do their 20 years just because they already did seven years they did 10 years so i might as well do 10 more years i was like that's 10 years of your life like are you happy or not like do what you do what makes you happy and i saw i noticed that uh and that's a, that's why i ended up doing one term and then i got out but i wanted to explore this i wanted to create uh, a platform where people like you can and share that wisdom and thank you for blessing us with so much wisdom um man that was packed uh I wanted to kind of go back a little bit because you said, uh, well, about your dad's story and your cousins being so young and um, that's not what they were expecting. I always say death is the greatest teacher mm -hmm. and that if, if you're looking for the lessons of how to live, you can see that with the uncertainty of life. And how did you navigate through those years? Cause you said three years you were taking care of your dad, your primary caregiver, uh, and that was definitely not easy for you, I'm sure. And you were also building your coaching, you were coaching people during that time. How do you, how do you navigate through a difficult time like that and still show up for those people in your life that depend on you, like your clients or other family members, your mother, et cetera? Yeah. So first and foremost, in any difficult time, whether it be COVID, pandemic, economy things, whether it be lockdown, whether it be a death in the family, whatever the case may be, you show up one day at a time. You can mess yourself up unintentionally if you're trying to think too big picture. I only had the bandwidth to, 
to think like one or two days at a time. And so from that place, it's like, all right, I woke up this morning, you know, mom is as, as an example, let's say mom's maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed. It's been two, three days where she spent a lot of time with that because he was at a point where he always needed somebody with him 24 seven. Like we couldn't leave him alone because balance issues, seizures, like all that. He could just die. He could fall. Like you got to be with him. And that anyone who's been a primary caregiver, you are fully invested, like mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and it can be exhausting. And so let's say, all right, your mom needs a break. So that you go to your friends, you go to grandma, you do your thing. Like I got him. And on that day, I'm not thinking six weeks ahead, six months ahead. I'm thinking, all right, what can I do right now? Because I don't know if he's going to be here tomorrow. What can I do right now to enjoy my time with him, to really connect with him, to have a deep experience with him? Let's say I've got a client, as you mentioned, and my client might be scheduled three hours from now or tomorrow or something like that. It's like, okay, let me check my stuff at the door and let me close my eyes. Let me just get really clear, present. Who is this person? What are they about? What do they want to create? What do they need most right now? And what can I do in my environment to set me up where I can give them that one hour, that 40 minutes, that whatever it is of complete presence? Like, what can I do to plan ahead to create the necessary scenario and environment where I can show up as powerfully as I can for them? You know, in that time, I grew so much in those three years, not just with my dad, but, you know, he would go to sleep and I don't have any kids, but I would imagine when, you know, from what I've heard, parents have kids and the kids need you a lot. And then the kids go to bed, you might be exhausted, but that might be an hour, two hours, three hours where you can finally connect as a couple or where you can just relax and do your own thing and kind of give it to yourself in that same way. That's kind of the closest mentally that I can relate to that. You know, he would go to bed and here's this guy that because of the injury, he was dependent on us. And now he goes to sleep and I might be up for a couple hours before I go to bed. And in those hours, I'm doing trainings, I'm reading books, I'm figuring out how can I get better at what I do because I'm not gonna, you know, not do that. Because the way I thought about it was I look at my bookshelf over here and it's like a thousand books on it. And six years ago there was four. <laughs> well, then, yeah, yeah, about six years ago there was like four. And I think about that and I go, all right, every one of those books that I read, every course that I take, it's not just for me. It's like there's a purpose behind it because there's a client that I'm going to get in a year and the course or book that I'm going to read in six months is why they're not going to commit suicide. And that's happened. I've had people message me for things like that. And I'm sitting there in this overwhelming feeling of bliss and gratitude because this person's like, hey, if it wasn't for our work together, I wouldn't still be here. And I think back and I go, what was the main thing? And it's like, wow, you know, I learned that or I really started to figure that out three months before we started working together. And so in that same way, I would really show up every single day, not only is it an opportunity to connect with the people that I love and care about, because I don't know how many more days I'm going to have with them, but it's also an opportunity for me to learn and grow as an individual and as a coach, because there's going to be people that, are, that my path will cross theirs at a certain time. And I don't know when it's going to be, and I need to be ready. And like that to me was kind of how I navigated that and kind of bringing it full circle. Again, it is always one day at a time. I think people get themselves um, worked up unnecessarily. And this is how I'd word it actually. Something I tell clients and something I tell people that I'm in communication with often, and I say it to everybody now, create a meaningful life. And I have people ask me, how do I do that? 
and this goes back to one day at a time, how do I do that? And I say, create a meaningful day. And they say, well, how do I do that? You create a meaningful day by creating meaningful moments. And you create a meaningful moment by making a decision that's meaningful to you, meaning it moves you closer in the direction of where you want to go, whether it be your dream, your career, whether it be an investment, whether it be a, a trip with a friend, whether it be a communication with a loved one, whatever the case may be, whatever the direction you want to move in, making a decision in that way is a meaningful decision for you. So when you make a meaningful decision moment by moment by moment, at the end of the day, when you go to sleep, that's one of those days where you say, wow, like, what a day. Like I have energy. Like I feel great. I'm so proud of that day. And those days are the ones where you notice like you fall asleep easier. Those are the days where you just felt I lived today. I didn't just exist. And when you have a number of those days, you create a meaningful life. But people look at it, they look at the people that seem to be very happy and fulfilled and successful in many different areas. And they tell themselves these disempowering stories about why those people are lucky, those people are fortunate, those people X, Y, and Z. But the thing is, we all have different opportunities. And there's an expression, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one then have an opportunity and not be prepared. So you could sit there and say, for example, with the story I shared about books and my clients and trainings, I could say, I will wait until I have the client to read the book. That's a problem if the first session, the client's got some heavy stuff going on <laughs> and I'm not ready for that. You know, I need to read it, train it, live it, be prepared for it before the client's even in my awareness or before, you know, whatever the case may be. So I'm ready for it in that same way. What are you doing? We're in January right now. New Year's just passed. We're in 2021. What do you want this year to look like? And what would, what would a fulfilling experience be where it's New Year's Eve 2021? You're looking back and you're saying, what a year. Like that was the best year of my life. And then you come back to this moment and you create it through your decisions. When you live your life like randomly, kind of like it's an accident. I wonder what this new year is going to bring me. You're not going to be fulfilled because it's going to be random. It'll bring some stuff that you like, some stuff that you don't like, and you're not probably going to get what you want. But then if you blame it on God or the universe, or I, I'm not a lucky person, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because when you can recognize, you know what, I'm going to take a hundred percent responsibility for my life. You know, Bill Gates has a quote where he says, it's not your fault. If you die, if, if you're born poor, it's not your fault. He says, but if you die poor, that's your fault. In that same kind of way, you know, you've had life experiences. You were born in a certain country, a certain culture. There were certain, uh, you know, cultural differences. Maybe you were born at a certain, you know, maybe under poverty level. Maybe you were born with one parent. Maybe you were born with no parents. You were adopted, you know, and you didn't know your parents. Whatever the case may be, you've had hardship. I'm not putting any of that down. I respect that completely. You know, I, as a brother and sister on this human journey, I love you and I want you to win. So the key becomes... What are you doing day by day to win? And only you know what it means to win. There's no like objective standard. Like you win is that meaningful life, that extraordinary life on your terms. So what does it look like? Get really clear and then always bring it back one day at a time, one day at a time. Am I making progress? Am I winning? Stop comparing myself to other people and compare myself to who I was yesterday. Am I further along in my process? If I am, then I'm going to get wherever I'm going. It, it might take time, or it will take time, depending on how long it takes, but I will get there. But if I'm just telling myself stories and I'm not moving, I'm not making any progress, it's like you're on the uh, 
back when I did track, I remember my senior year, junior year in New York City, we did the, the New York City Marathon, but not the full thing in high school. We did kind of the last three to five miles, something like that. And there's a starting line and a finish line, obviously. It's like being on the starting line. And I say, I really want to get to the end. And then the gun goes off and I just stand there. And I've got my shoes, I'm, I'm ready to go. I stretch and I'm ready, but I'm not moving. And you're sitting there going, hey, like the gun went off, like go ahead, run. And I give you all the stories and the reasons why I want to, but I can't. <laughs> and the thing is, if I do that, I'm never gonna see you know, the finish line other than other people crossing it. And I can tell myself all the stories about, oh yeah, you know, that guy was born, his, his parents ran, and that's why he won that. And I tell myself all the stories, and I, but I'm not finally realizing when I look down that my feet aren't moving. Like I'm not taking any steps. I'm just looking at everybody else. Like run your race. Like, you know, I, I look at life in this metaphor, you're running a race of one. And the only person you're competing with is yourself, which means you're guaranteed first prize. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. You could stop, you could go backwards. <laughs> you could sit on the ground in the middle of your race. You're still gonna win. It's just a matter of make sure it's your race. Make sure you're not on some other circuit running somebody else's race. Run, and the, the way you know, your, your feeling, your intuition, your heart, you start hearing this inner voice. What are you doing? Why are we doing this? Are, are you happy? You start hearing these thoughts, these voices. Wow, that sounds exciting. I wonder if I could do that. Why am I still here? I told myself I'd leave like 10 years ago. Listen to that. Stop ignoring it. Like that's why you're being, un that's why you're unfulfilled. Because you got this internal voice, this intuition that's telling you, hey, this is what you'll make, this is what will bring happiness. And because we get bought into this societal expectation, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is the kind of job I'm supposed to have. This is how much money I'm supposed to make. You know, this is the cultural, for example, you know, my dad's side of the family is Middle Eastern and my mom's side of the family is Spanish. And in both cultures, but especially the Middle Eastern culture, similar in Asian cultures, Indian cultures, there's this kind of expectation. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be an engineer. And then the joke is, or you're going to be the family failure. <laughs> and those are the choices. That's, that's what you got. And the thing is, from even though, you know, almost all of those parents, people, they mean well. They love you. They want to mm. see you successful, right? They don't mean any ill will by it. But because a lot of people grow up with that kind of societal pressure, I know a lot of people that fit into one of those three or four mm. you know, job categories who don't want to do that. And they've been doing it for 20 years and they're miserable. And if you ask, well, why do you do it? It's a combination of A, I'm so deep into it, I can't stop now. And I got into it because family or pressure from my community or whatever the case may be. This is where it comes down to, you gotta live your life. You gotta get clear on what fills your cup up because I promise you when you live your life and you're lit up and you're enthusiastic and you're passionate, that's when you're gonna make the biggest impact in the world. That's when you're gonna inspire other people to want to do the same. But there's enough people in the world that because of their choices and things of that nature, they're pretty miserable. You don't make the world better by being one of those people. You don't make the world better by adding to that number. You make the world better by being an example of what's possible. You know, there's this, uh, mm -hmm. over the holidays, a movie that came out when I was a kid. I love it though. Bruce Almighty, Jim Carrey, Morgan Freeman. And it was on and we watched it as a family. And there's this scene at the end that I always love. And Morgan Freeman is talking to Jim Carrey. And he basically says two things. And the first thing he says, you know, this is God talking to him. He says, you know, people pray to me 
and they want me to do it for them. And what they don't see is you have the power. And then he tells him, if you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. And then as he's climbing up this ladder, because he's going to like, he's kind of going into the roof or something. Uh, metaphorically, it's like heaven, but he's going up. And Jim Carrey goes, wait, are you leaving? And Morgan Freeman's character says, yeah, you know, I think you can handle it from here. And he goes, but what if I have questions? What if I need you? And God says, that's your problem, Bruce. That's everybody's problem. You keep looking up. This idea of look inside, look within. Like you can, you have all the power that you need to create the life that you want one day at a time, one choice at a time without putting the pressure on yourself that it has to happen in a certain period of time. You know, Tony mm-hmm. Robbins has that quote, most people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they mm-hmm. underestimate what they can do in 10 years. In that same idea, what's your dream? And even if you tell me I'm 70 years old, I might not have 20 years. You might be right, but who cares? If it takes you 20 years to do it and you love it and you die at year 11, at least you you enjoyed those 11 years and you're really happy. And if you survive, yeah, you, you got the dream. Colonel Sanders was was uh, 66 when he got KFC going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of these people that are that we look at in society that are really successful by society standards, mm-hmm. either they started, you know, many of them started late, 60s, 50s, 40s, and many of them people don't realize the rejection and the failure that they endure. You know, I know that um, J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter. I think she was rejected by like between nine and ten, nine and twelve publishers, something like that. Harry Potter is like a billion, multiple billion dollar industry. Imagine you're the publisher, not this isn't going to sell. You know, Oprah gets told when she got fired from like a news position, I think it was, they said, you're not fit to be on TV when she was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people who um, think I tried that, it didn't go well, so I quit. That's not how you succeed. Success does not mean like fear of failure. Success is you fully embrace failure and you see failure as a stepping stone to get to where you want to be. I mentioned the book, the, the book that I wrote. There's a part in that book where I say success, failure is a stepping stone to success, not an execution sentence for your dreams. It's not a matter of, oh, I failed. Therefore, like I'm screwed. I'm done. I can't get it. You failed. You fell. Get up. Learn from it. Get better. And you keep doing that and you spiral up. It might take you a year, it might take you five years, it might take you 20 years or more, but you'll get there. And the key being, would you rather do something that, and fail, but get better that you love? You know, I think about, I just told you before our call today, I brought on a new client today for one year and I'm deeply excited to, for the work we're going to do together. Mm-hmm. And I think back to when I first started my business where I coached for free for over 10 years. And I think about when I didn't, no business well. I think about when I was deeply afraid of charging money for, for the work that I do. I thought about the first time somebody paid me. We had like four sessions together. They asked me at the end, how do I pay you? I had no idea how to accept money. <laughs> and I just made so I'm like, oh, you owe $50. And they sent me like a check like two weeks later with a thank you card for $50. And it was like the greatest thing in the world because there I was with this card that represented, I got paid to do something that I loved. And the thing was, by by like the United States standards, $50 isn't a lot of money. But at the same time, what it represented was a start, right? Mm-hmm. And over the years since that day, 
I have grown exponentially. I am so much better of a coach and a businessman and everything and a man than I was then. But if I told myself back then, oh, I had a call with somebody, I got nervous around like talking about money, I guess this isn't meant for me. Then all the messages I have gotten over the years of people saying this work changed my life, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the, none of that would have happened. Mm-hmm. In that same way, all of us can look back at our life and think anything that I'm good at, anything that I love, anything that I built skill around, you weren't born with that. There was time and attention you put into it. There was practice that you put into it. So why do we think that it's different when it's something that we try for the first time or something that we're kind of new at? Give the time, give the attention, learn from it, reflect on it. When a little baby learns to walk, one of the reasons why they learn so quickly, relatively, they fall, they get back up. They fall, they get back up. There's no shame. There's no judgment. What, what people say, oh, you know, I can't learn languages. I know adults that, that know, speak five to eight languages and they learned all of them when they were older than 30 except for the first one. And so the thing is, people make the excuse, oh, you know, I don't really want to speak that language. I I can't speak that language because I'm not a kid anymore. Because they tell themselves a story that little kids are better at learning languages. There might be some truth to that. And at the same time, a big part of it is the little kid doesn't know judgment, doesn't know shame. They don't get down on themselves when they mispronounce the word. They Mm -hmm. just do it. And they just try. And there's consistent iterations and they get better and better and better. If I were to tell you, hey, Musa, do you speak Japanese? What would the answer be? No. Yeah. And if I say, well, why don't you speak Japanese? If you had to answer that in like a sentence or two, what would you say? Because I never needed to. I don't live in Japan. (laughs) Yeah. So keep this in mind. You never needed to. But there are people in the United States who speak Japanese, right? So it it really comes down to, by choice, you haven't put it in the time and attention and the reps, like like going to the gym, Mm -hmm. the repetitions, you haven't put in the reps necessary Mm -hmm. to learn it. But if I told you, I'm going to give you $50 million if one year from today, you are fluent in Japanese. Now, if if, if I were to offer you that, can you honestly tell me that if you didn't, if you kind of checked everything else, if you did what you have to do to pay your bills, to keep yourself alive, and all your other time went into learning Japanese, studying Japanese, speaking to friends in Japanese, watching Japanese shows with English subtitles, having audiobooks in, doing Duolingo and all that kind of stuff, that one year from now, you wouldn't speak Japanese? Yeah. I definitely would. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. And that doesn't mean go speak Japanese. That means the fact that everyone is listening, even if you have doubts, you could do it. If you're 99.9% of people, you could do that. The key is there's no commitment. When you actually want what you say you want and you back it up with action and you don't allow failure to get you down, you learn from your failure, then you will always get there. It's just a matter of how long. And even if, again, you might die before you get there, but you were on track. And the key was, were you enjoying the process? I feel like I'm kind of monopolizing the conversation. No, no, that's <laughs> amazing, man. It's great. It's gold, really. And I love it because even with that example, $50 million, I'll, I'll move to Japan until I learned it, right? But <laughs> we, we, would, we would so often make the decision uh, for money, but living a fulfilled, meaningful life is worth more than any dollar amount. I truly believe that. 
So even just being, having the want to have a fulfilled and meaningful life should be worth more than $50. So why not put that effort, that commitment towards what will bring that to my life? And I I remember something Tony Robbins said that a great life is not going to interrupt you. Mm. You have to make the decisions every moment. And, And you touched up on it a little bit earlier that it's, one day at a time, one moment at a time. And just, you know, how can I make this moment more meaningful, more impactful, more effective and productive or whatever the case is and, and breaking it down to what can I do right now? The way you mentioned earlier, I, I think is a, is a brilliant way to approach it, yeah. to start taking those actions. What can I do in this moment that might get me closer to what's going to bring me fulfillment, true fulfillment? Yeah, as an example, just kind of as let's say somebody says, I really let's say they're they're overweight and they say, I want to lose weight. But they've tried multiple things before and, and it worked, and then they plateaued and it didn't work, bounce back, all those kind of things, right? So that's their mm-hmm. story of the past. And even it's true, like they tried that stuff, that's what happened, right? But that's the story. And then they'll tell themselves all the reasons. Let's say they're on the couch and they'll tell themselves all the reasons why, you know, this is what I want, but you know, my mom was overweight or this happened or this, they give all the reasons why they can't do it versus going back to one day at a time, one moment at a time, right there in that moment. It's like, all right, I'm going to start walking. Who's somebody that I would love to connect with. And let's imagine, you know, you live with somebody and you say, or, or you call a friend or whatever the case may be, but you say, I want to get in better shape. I want to commit to walking, let's say a mile a day, two miles a day, five miles a day, whatever it is, you work your way up. And it turns into if they're living with you, will you do that with me? And we can connect, we can laugh, we can get in shape together. Or it's maybe it's a phone call because they're in a different state. I know someone who does that. And now it's like mm-hmm. every day you both are accountability buddies and you walk together. Then you go to the grocery store. And normally maybe you fill your cart up with things that you enjoy, but maybe they don't, they're not supporting your body. They're not supporting your goals. You might enjoy it, but you don't feel good when you eat it. So maybe you go get a blood test. You do a food allergy panel. You find out wow, you know, here's 18 foods, 10 foods that I probably shouldn't be eating. I'm highly sensitive to, and I've been eating these for years. So then you just choose to not put them in your cart. When you walk by, Mm. you're like, take care, old friend. I wish you well. You (laughs) You do not touch it. And now you start putting better things in there because you're choosing to. And then you say, all right, I don't know how to cook. Well, I'm going to choose to learn. You go on YouTube and there's a billion cooking videos. Here's a recipe. Follow along. Pause the video. Learn it. Oh, my friend's a good cook. Bring them over. I'll buy the food. You cook it with me. Teach me how to do it. Like just like we're learning Japanese, you could do all of these things. Mm. It's just choosing not to. You tell yourself the story. I don't have time. I'm lazy. I'm all these things. And you're just shooting yourself in the foot before the race starts. Every day, what is one decision I can make? What's one meaningful choice I can make? I don't know what gym to choose. Just put your shoes on and go for a walk. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, most people said, oh, you know, because of the pandemic, gyms are closed. I got out of shape. What stopped you from getting on the ground and doing push-ups? What stopped you from just going for a walk outside? What stopped you from doing body weight squats? If you're capable of doing those things physically, I have an uncle who's in a wheelchair his whole life and he's bedridden and he does exercises with his arms. Like, what's the excuse? You know, we all have it. It could be 20 minutes. It could be five minutes. You could do five minutes 10 times throughout the day and you almost have an hour. It's like, what's the excuse? The only excuse is you're not being intentional about it. And I don't say that ever from a place of judgment. 
Again, I always say that from love and from what seems to be in the highest service of you, which is you getting what you want. So take the Japanese uh, example, take the workout example, take the diet example, the cooking example, and exchange it for whatever it is that you want to do. But ask yourself, what am I doing every day to move me closer to that? Are my decisions in alignment mm -hmm. with what I say that I want? Because if they're not, then you're BSing yourself. It's just all talk. You don't actually want it. It'd be nice to have, but there's no necessity. And from that place, you won't get it. And I say that again from love, because if you want to get it, you got to step up. If you want to get it, you got to change your habits. Otherwise, you'd already have it. Mm -hmm. And in and, and living with intentional choice, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like one of the most difficult times in your life, your biggest challenge or obstacle, uh, which your father also taught you one of the greatest lessons that is leading to your fulfillment in living with intention every moment. Is that, is that really where it, it came across during the hardest time? If it was the hardest time or one of the hardest times in your life is where you yeah. found that breakthrough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I would say it for me personally, yes, but keep in mind, it's, it's not necessarily one moment. And this is the case for most of us. Sometimes there is that one moment, like in my story, there were several one moments, you know, there was the moment where he had the aneurysm, there was the moment mm -hmm. when he died, there was the moment at the wake, there was the moment in mm -hmm. the room after the surgery, there was every moment for three years after, <laughs> like there was mm -hmm. all these moments. And then since then, it's been eight years since then, since then, there's like the reflection, and then really diving into the lessons and, and then being with that, right. And so in that same way, yes, that experience, instead of a moment, that experience as a whole became the most defining experience of my life. But it wasn't the experience necessarily, it was what I took from it. Because in any situation, there's hardships that you've been through that you have used to make yourself better, wiser, stronger, more capable, able to help other people, things of that nature. But there's other people who have the same experience, but they crumble, it breaks them down. Mm -hmm. They, they have resentment, they have anger, they have guilt. And it's not a judgment, it's an observation. They've got those things. So they didn't take anything really useful from the experience. Like the experience is like a, a black hole in their past that they're trying to run away from. Versus when we use the experience and it becomes the lesson. Now it's like every moment that we deem, that's like the worst thing that ever happened to me. If you can find the meaning in that, the lesson in that, how you can use that to make your future better and make other mm -hmm. people's future better, then all of a sudden your worst moment almost becomes your best moment. That, that experience with my dad mm -hmm. was simultaneously the worst thing that's ever happened to me and the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. Because the life that I am creating and that I'm planning for myself would not be possible if I didn't go through that experience. Mm -hmm. And the people that I'm able to help in the past, present, and future, would, they, they wouldn't have had me. They, they probably would have got somebody else but in this lifetime, at least, if I'm the one who's destined to be with them and, and partner with them and help them, I wouldn't have been able to if I didn't have that experience. And in, I, I think when we can really find the, the meaning, all of a sudden we look to the past and there's not a, oh my God, there's the worst thing that ever happened. I wish it never happened. I hate it. And there's all this like negative energy around it. Instead, you can look at it and go, wow, you know, I obviously didn't want that to happen, but it did. And I can see it and I can accept it and I can fully surrender to that because it happened. But then I can find the beauty in it, learn the lessons in it. In my example, you know, I was fortunate that I had those three years of my dad. 
and I got to learn a lot about life. You know, would I have liked 10? Yeah, but I, I got three. And that's what, you know, that's what fate gave me, if you want to call it that. And I can complain about that and I can be angry about that, but it doesn't change the fact that I got three. It doesn't change mm-hmm. the fact that he had the aneurysm. It doesn't change the fact that he passed away. If it doesn't change, that's why Wayne Dyer talks about the two most useless emotions are guilt and worry. Because guilt and worry don't change anything. You can be guilt, you can feel guilty about the past. Mm-hmm. It still happened. All you're doing is ruining your present. You can be worried about the future. It doesn't exist. It hasn't happened. It's just a thought in your head and you're ruining your present. And so anything you're doing that's taking away your peace isn't worth it. You know, and yeah, there's so much I can dive into that. It's a big, it's a big thing. But, but again, the big thing, reflect on the past, reflect on the lessons. Deepak Chopra talks mm-hmm. about, I use my past. I don't let my past use me. Use your past by reflecting on it, taking the lessons from it, and apply what you can now to make the best decisions to get where you want to be going forward. Like, period. Like, that's it. If you're using the past for anything else, you're abusing yourself. And it'll stop when you choose to make it stop. You just shared some of the keys to happiness, really. And and just turning an obstacle or a hardship and finding meaning and lesson that you can use to benefit. And because of that darkness, you've allowed your light to fully shine with the work you do, every conversation you have, your presence, your being. Uh, And I'm just so grateful to have had this conversation and just listening to it is amazing. I know everyone who listens to this is going to get an unbelievable amount of value. They're going to have to probably listen to a few times, get notes and just get it. Cause you just shared keys to happiness, living fulfilled and meaningful lives and just being uh, a, a master over yourself. So you can be everything you can be. Um, but before we wrap it up, I honestly, I, I know we can go on for uh, several hours but (laughs) uh, we'll have to do this again. Um, But before we uh, end this, can you give everyone listening just best place to reach you, contact you if they want to work with you or just have a conversation, uh, what platforms and how can they do that? And I'll share, I'll I'll keep everything in the notes as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. First of all, for the opportunity, I had a lot of fun being with you and everyone listening to Moose's point. You know, if you got something from this, listen to it again, take notes, but again, don't just have like, you know, the sexiest notebook in town, you know, you got to act on it. (laughs) You got to make choice. We talked about this, make the choice. (laughs) Yeah. If it's just notes, not really going to benefit your life too much. If you actually apply it, every area of your life can improve. If this resonated with you, if you feel like you want to have a conversation, you feel like there's an area in your life that your, your business, your health, your relationships, mindset, happiness, spirituality, whatever it is. You feel like, I want to upgrade that. I want to get a better experience of that. I don't want to get to the end and realize I didn't live life as fully as I could have. Mm. I'd love to be in conversation with you. We can have a you know, complimentary call on me. And you can find me on my website, jamilsayage.com, J-A-M-I-L-S-A-Y-E-G-H. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. You know, I've got, at this point, 430-ish, I believe, videos on there for free that you could check out. Intentionally, I've made all of them short. <laughs> so they're all... Mm. 50 seconds to like two minutes and each one it's designed to have one powerful insight new perspective that you can watch it 
and they can actually change the whole course of your day. And I've been fortunate that people have told me that. And so it's short enough. There's no excuse. You could check it out. You could do one a day and you could really get a lot of value from that. It's at Dr. Jamil Syage on Instagram and Facebook. It's just my name, Jamil Syage. And I really hope you get value from that. And if you want to check out my book, you can get a copy for free on my website as well. Dr. Jamil, thank you for being such a light. Uh, so grateful. This has been amazing. And I'll definitely keep all the links and notes in the show notes and details. Uh, it's been such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Be well. That is all for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you found any value in this episode, someone you know will also. Please share, subscribe, leave a rating and review so we can reach more people, have a farther ripple and a larger impact. Stay grateful. I appreciate you. And remember, you are a conqueror.